through 8. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Just then, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the scribes said to themselves, He's blaspheming. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he told the paralytic, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. So he got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and gave glory to God, who had given such authority to men. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Annalisha. Good morning, everyone. My name is Eric Tu, and I am a pastor here also. Um, good to see all of you this morning. A few more family announcements. We, we have some goodbyes, but also some hellos in our church family. Um, I received word that Hoon and Susie gave birth. Well, Susie gave birth. Hoon was there. It's a little Hugh Warwick Hoon, so we welcome him to the Trinity family. And that's the happy side. On the uh, sad side, Timothy and Allison Cho. Last Sunday, their family will be with us. God's calling them to a new adventure in Ohio. So be sure to hug them and uh, spend this last time with them. We get to send them off in the Lord's blessing and, and grace. But it's been amazing to have your family with us um, for these months, for a little over a year. Um, we are in a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're calling it, Why Follow Jesus? The Gospel of Matthew was written to provoke and to answer this why question. Why follow Jesus? Especially as we're seeing chapters 8 through 12. And I've been saying each Sunday in Christianity, asking the why question, it's not only allowed, it's not only okay that we ask the why question, it's actually essential. Because sooner or later in following Jesus, or in considering whether or not to follow Jesus, we will come up against this why question. We'll come at the issue that is really at the heart of this story. If you look again at verse 6 and verse 8, it's the issue of authority. Our English word authority has a twofold meaning. To be an authority can mean, one, you are a foremost expert, right? If you are uh, an authority on biology or an authority on, on the market or investing, you, you are an expert in that particular field. So that's an authority. To be an authority also means to have power or control over something, over an area. Now, if you read any of the Gospels, if you have any experience reading the Gospels, you will notice something inescapable about Jesus. One... He spoke and he acted like he was the foremost expert on humanity. And two, he spoke and he acted like he was always in charge. 
He was in charge over everyone and over everything. And Jesus' final words about himself in this gospel, in the gospel of Matthew 28, 18, he says this, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when it comes to authority, this is what we have to believe about Jesus in order to follow him. So, in following Jesus, we should expect to be regularly wrestling with this question of his authority because he was teaching with authority. After the sermon, large crowds were flocking to him. And then we saw in in Matthew 8, at the beginning of Matthew 8, he starts healing human suffering with authority, as the Roman centurion in chapter 8 recognized and said. Fevers, leprosy, pain, terrible agony, a violent storm, and spiritual oppression, all were healed with the simple authoritative command of Jesus. And even if you're skeptical about miracles, when you read these stories, when you read these things happening in the life of Jesus, I think you'll say, well, that's the kind of authority I hope is true and real. The kind of authority that can end human suffering and evil. So in, in Matthew 7, 8, and 9, we're left with this impression that maybe Jesus does know us better than we know ourselves. Maybe he can heal our pain and suffering, and we're drawn in to someone who may have that kind of authority. Then we come here to Matthew 9. Another aspect of Jesus' authority is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that he just comes out and claims authority. And he says it right here in the middle of this text, I have the authority to forgive sins. And what's fascinating and interesting is that this moment is where opposition to Jesus started. Up until this point, the large crowds are drawn in, they're attracted, they're moving towards him, and here it says people started to have a problem with Jesus. Teach us with authority? Yes. Teach us, Jesus, as teacher. Heal us with authority? Yes, for sure. Take away our pain and suffering, Jesus, as healer. But forgive us with authority? That's when people start to pull back. There's two points in the message that I want to look at uh, in this story. They're actually different than what you have in your outline. I made a change, but there's still two. I didn't add a third. Uh, Point one will be Jesus' authority to forgive its difficulty. First, we'll look at why that's so difficult. Secondly, Jesus' authority to forgive its impact. What kind of impact should it have on us? So first, let's look at the difficulty of Jesus' authority to forgive. So this part of Matthew 8 and 9 is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's up uh, in the area near Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. It's in northern Israel. And he started in a city called Capernaum. That's mentioned in verse 5 of chapter 8. And we see he's kind of journeying around the sea. He crossed over to the other side. When large crowds were gathering, he told his disciples, we're not here to build the crowd. I'm here to make disciples. Let's go onto the sea and then over to the other side. 
So here in verse 1 of chapter 9, Jesus comes back, it says, to his own town. What town is that? It's probably not the town he grew up in. He's probably returning back to his home base in Capernaum. And we know the crowds are back. The Gospel of Mark actually tells this story as well. And Mark tells it with more detail than Matthew. We know Jesus is in a house at this moment. He's, he's teaching, and the crowds are so big that the house is jam-packed. There's no way in to this house. So in verse 2, chapter 9, some men, it says, come in. Mark tells us they couldn't go in the normal way. They actually had to find their way in through the roof, and they dropped their friend down in there. So they bring their paralytic, paralytic friend who's lying on a stretcher, and it says, Jesus saw this. It says, seeing their faith, not just his faith, but their faith. He saw that and he told this paralyzed man, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And here's where all the difficulty began. You can imagine that the man in the stretcher and his friends had some difficulty with this response, right? Because they come in, they're bringing their friend, he's on a stretcher, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Thank you, but that's not why we came. He's still lying in the stretcher. The scribes, it says in verse 3, had the most difficulty with this response. It says they were all thinking the same thing. What was that? Blasphemy. No one can forgive sins except for God alone. Who is he to speak for God? He doesn't know what this man has done. Maybe this man deserves it for what he's done. So the scribes had great difficulty with it. And then the crowd at the end, if you look at verses 7 and 8, after Jesus heals the man, it says in, in the translation we're using, the CSV, that they were awestruck. There's a note in the Bible that says this can also be translated as afraid. Maybe some of your translations say afraid. I think that's the better translation because this is a holy dread. Why? Because if they're, they're thinking, if this man has the authority to forgive, what does he know about me? If this man can see the thoughts and know the hearts of what people are thinking here, what does he know about me and what I'm thinking? Jesus intentionally created all this difficulty for everyone involved. He could have, like he did many times, just healed the man and then moved on to heal the next person. We see him do that often, but here he didn't. Why? Well, it must have been that he wanted to bring to the surface all this difficulty that people were having. For everyone there, for the whole crowd, and for us. If we understand what he's saying about his authority to forgive. Look at verse 5. We see Jesus, he's pressing in this difficulty. Because he asks here one of his unanswerable questions. I think it's unanswerable, like many of Jesus' questions are, because no matter how you answer it, it doesn't quite feel like it's the right answer. He says... Which is easier to say, get up and walk, or your sins are forgiven? Well, which is easier? One can be easily proven false, right? 
the other can't. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because who can prove that? Who can verify that? But if you say, get up and walk, and the person is just laying there doing nothing, then you know that that didn't work. But in another respect, and the scribes were thinking, saying your sins are forgiven is the much harder thing. To say this, you have to have the authority of God, which I think is the point behind the question. How difficult is forgiveness? How difficult is forgiveness? Well, Jesus' miracles almost always have two layers. On the one hand, he's just meeting a person, a human being in need and in suffering, and his compassion just moves and goes out to that individual, and he alleviates their pain. That's one level, the very personal level. On another level, all of Jesus' miracles say something about who he is in the bigger picture. We saw this in the sea, in the storm. Jesus answered the disciples. They said, help us. He said, okay, I'll help you. He helped them on the boat, but he revealed that he was Lord over the storm and the sea. So here in verse 6, Jesus tells everyone, which he doesn't often do, the larger point, level 2 in this miracle is this, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And here's a difficulty for us. What Jesus is doing here is identifying our most important, central, and core need as forgiveness. And most of the time, like this man who was brought to Jesus, like his friends, we just don't see that as our most important need. It's not the thing we're coming to Jesus for, like these men. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been healing and drawing large crowds. He's been meeting their felt needs. He's been helping people. But here, he brings up the sin issue, which is not popular now to talk about, and it wasn't popular then either. It's where all the opposition to Jesus begins. When he says, sin is the deeper issue, sin is your greatest problem. That's when all the problems start happening for Jesus. The old preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he preached a sermon on this story once, and he called it, the, the, the title caught my eye. He said, forgiveness first, then healing. Forgiveness first, then healing. That's the order of redemption in the Bible. In order for healing to come, that is full and lasting and comprehensive. Forgiveness comes first. Forgiveness first, then healing. The sin that separates us from God is the source, according to Scripture, of all that ruins and corrupts and brings curse to our lives and our bodies and the world. And so that must first be dealt with and removed until it is all healing is temporary and incomplete. In the case of this man on the stretcher, he eventually did become sick and die. This was an incomplete and temporary healing for him. So what Jesus is doing is, is laying down two principles. The physical cannot be separated from the spiritual, but the spiritual takes precedence over the physical. 
And isn't that difficult for us? Isn't it difficult to say, my greatest need is forgiveness? What about my finances right now? What about my stress? What about my illness? What about all these problems that I'm having? And Jesus comes and says, wait, okay, but let's talk about forgiveness first. And here's where authority comes into play. Because we tend to downplay and minimize and deny that forgiveness is our deepest need. And when we do that, we are making ourselves a higher authority than Jesus. Having the authority of Jesus in our lives is allowing him to tell us where our healing needs to start. If I could illustrate it, it would be like this. We might have some symptoms going on physically. We're sick and we want healing. And so we make an appointment with our doctor, our physician, and we go in and say, Doctor, I'm having these symptoms. Can you please prescribe these medications? I've already done the research on Google. I know exactly what drugs I need. And your physician, a good physician, will say, hold on. Let's stop and let's talk. Let's make sure we're treating the source before we talk about the symptoms. Jesus says he came to deal with the source so that he can heal all the symptoms. And so Jesus is saying to us, if you want my authority over your suffering, you must also accept my authority over your sin. And that's not easy because he's going to call it what it is. He's going to reveal it and expose it in us, not to condemn us, not to bear us down with guilt, not to shame us, never to shame us, but to forgive us so that we can have the full redemption that he intends. First forgiveness, then healing. Now, this text teaches us that this is difficult for us, but also I think this text teaches us that it is difficult for God. What do I mean? Well, in our, mod- in our modern world, um, most people, when they think of forgiveness and God, wherever you're coming from, if you believe in some kind of God, and for Christians, most of us think that forgiveness is one of the easy things for God to do, don't we? It's not difficult for God to forgive. Nobody's perfect. Everybody deserves a second chance. We all make mistakes. Just forgive. Isn't it his job to forgive us? He made us this way anyway. Maybe only the very worst people don't deserve it. Special cases. But here's the point I think Jesus is making in his unanswerable question that he asks. He's saying if if you think it is hard to cure a paralyzed man instantaneously... It's even harder to forgive sins, your sins. I'm going to do the easier thing. I'm going to heal the paralyzed man so that you know I have authority to do the harder thing, the more difficult thing, the thing that we should see as impossible for us. What's easy according uh, to the Bible, what's easy for God? 
Some examples are creating the universe. Very easy for God. He spoke and the universe came into being. If you read Genesis 1, it's effortless. He speaks and creation happens. The vastness of the universe. What's easy for God? Upholding every molecule. Every molecule in the, in, in the, in the universe. It's easy for God to know how many stars there are, how many grains of sand there are on the earth. It's all easy. What else is easy for God besides creation? Restoration is easy for God. Restoring things to how He intended them to be. It's super easy. Look at Jesus. He says to this man who's paralyzed, get up and walk. That easy. He got up, he walked, and he went home. What is difficult for God? Well, Jeremiah 32 says in in one respect, is anything too difficult for God? Nothing. But in another respect, one thing. One thing is difficult for God. Forgiveness. 1 Peter 4.18 says, it's with difficulty that even the righteous are saved. Our view of the difficulty of forgiveness all comes down to our view of sin. And personally, our own sin. Is it easy or difficult to forgive me? I've been reading the book of Leviticus. If you are tracking with us and you're able to walk through the chapters in Leviticus, we're reading it in our Bible reading plan. Um, Leviticus covers all kinds of sacrifices and all kinds of requirements for the priests. What they have to wear, um, the cleansing that they have to go through in order to represent the people. The lesson of Leviticus is this. Sin causes real damage. It causes breakage in our relationship with God and others. It creates a real cost to be repaired. And that repair can only come at a great price. A life for a life. We can't see it. We can't observe it. We can't prove it empirically. But the damage and the cost is real. That's why it's so hard for us, humanly speaking, to forgive someone when they wrong us. And I mean when we really get hurt and wronged by another person. If we've been there, and most of us have, and we receive the words, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? There's something that screaming loud in our heart that says, I'm sorry, is not enough. Words are not enough. Somebody has to pay the price. There's a cost here. Justice must be done. What is the most difficult thing for God? It's eliminating the thing that stands in the way of our restoration. It's healing us without eliminating us. That's the main tension in the story of the Bible. How can God do this? How will He do it? That's the difficulty of forgiveness. I want to move right into the impact of forgiveness, the impact of Jesus' authority to forgive. This is what makes Christianity and Jesus so unique and so different. It's how difficult Jesus says forgiveness is. All other approaches to forgiveness minimize its difficulty and therefore lose the impact 
lose the power and the difference it's meant to have in our lives. And so in Christianity, forgiveness is not downplaying, excusing sin, ignoring justice, or minimizing the damage and the cost of our sin or the ways that we have been sinned against by other people. In fact, it's the opposite. Christianity maximizes that cost, maintains justice, and never excuses sin. And so there's an impossibility there at the center point of Christianity. In order for there to be authority and power in forgiveness, there has to be more than just words. There has to be action. Something must be done with the cost and the damage. Forgiveness, according to the gospel, is when one person chooses to absorb the cost and the damage and the pain of wrong done or hurt caused. And the gospel is this. The only way we can be forgiven, the only way for God to do what is most difficult is if God himself takes our place, chooses to absorb the cost the damage, the pain, and the hurt himself. And in Jesus, this is what he has done. So that the words of Jesus, take courage, your sins are forgiven, are not just words, but they carry the authority of his actions, the full authority of the cross. Jesus says, I have done the most difficult thing for you, to restore you to restore you to me. So, Jesus' authority to forgive is difficult for us. But there's another side to this. When we accept Jesus' authority to forgive, not simply just forgiveness, but Jesus' authoritative forgiveness, when we receive it by faith personally, all the power, all the impact, and all the freedom of forgiveness is released into our lives. I think, and this was pressed home to me in a new way as I was studying this text, that forgiveness is the most underrated and the most probably underpracticed aspect of our faith. The power of forgiveness this story is telling us, is even greater than the kind of power that can take someone who's immobilized, who's paralyzed and stuck, and then having them walk free again on that moment instantaneously. That's just a glimpse. That's just a faint picture of the power of forgiveness. So, friends, if you are stuck, maybe you are stuck in a relationship, maybe you are stuck in conflict, maybe you are spiritually stuck, you and God. What this story is calling us to consider is perhaps we need to come to grips and experience the authority of Jesus to forgive. Because all of our problems with forgiveness are also connected to problems with Jesus' authority his authority to forgive. Let me explain this. If you're having trouble with uh, being forgiven, if you have trouble with feeling 
forgiven. When I say to you, Jesus offers you forgiveness, and you yawn and go, okay, on to the next thing. then you also have a problem with Jesus' authority. Now, there's a lot of popular talk out there about the importance of being able to forgive ourselves, and there's something important about that. But as we already said, the only one who has authority to forgive is the one who has been sinned against, right? If a couple, a, a, a couple uh, dating or in a married couple comes to me and says, Pastor Eric, we'd like to talk with you. We're having some struggles, some really big struggles. We think we need to call it quits here. And we sit down, and they tell me, first one person goes and says, here's all the ways I've been wrong. And then the other person says, here's all the way I've been wrong. And I say to them, oh, those, those are pretty bad, but you are forgiven for everything you've done to him. And you, you are forgiven for everything you've done to her. That might help a little bit, but they're not going to leave that counseling session with a healed marriage. Why? Because I don't have authority to forgive them for the wrong that they've done to each other. It won't have an impact. But if they get to the place where they truly forgive each other, they own the wrong and the hurt that they've caused, that can completely transform and change a relationship. Why? Because the one with the authority to forgive has granted the forgiveness. What got everyone upset here was Jesus was claiming to be the party that was sinned against. Now, if you're a Christian and your faith is in Jesus, you cannot forgive yourself. If you are not a Christian, you've yet to place your faith in Jesus. You cannot forgive yourself in a way that will have any true impact on you because you don't have the authority to do so. When it comes to forgiveness, at a certain level, it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel or how much I think I should pay or wallow in my guilt. We don't have the authority to forgive ourselves, but God does. If He says you are forgiven, then you are forgiven, period. His authority settles the matter forever. And that has tremendous power to impact our lives. C.S. Lewis said, I think that if God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than Him. When it comes to our problems with feeling forgiven, it's your authority versus God's. And friends, if your faith is in Jesus. On God's authority, he says, have courage. No matter what it is, your sins are forgiven. No condemnation, fully forgiven as far as the east is from the west, cast into the depths of the sea, gone. That's the impact for ourselves. Now, one final example of the impact this can have in our lives. If you're having problems forgiving another person, forgiving someone else, if you're bearing a grudge or holding on to a hurt, if you are judgmental and vengeful and spiteful towards another person in your life, 
and you say, even though God says, forgive as I have been forgiven, I say, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Unforgiveness of this kind is taking authority over someone else. And we won't be able to forgive them until we release them into the authority of Jesus. When we receive Jesus' authority to forgive our sins, then at the same time we release our authority over everybody else's sins. We are not their judge. We don't know their hearts. We are not in a position to determine what they need from God. What happens when we hold on to forgiveness? It destroys relationships. It destroys families, communities, companies, and eventually the heart of the person who refuses to forgive. Jesus says, you don't have that kind of authority. Release them to me and be released yourself. The authority of Jesus to forgive. A very difficult thing for us to accept. But when we do, it has the power to set us free, to transform us and all our relationships. Final quote from Martin Luther. He said this. It's in the beginning of your bulletin and your reflection quotes. He said in his commentary on Galatians, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. But in the authority of Jesus, because he did the hardest thing, he did what was most difficult so that we could believe and receive freely his words. Have courage, son. Have courage, daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, any time that we are confronted with the reality of our sinfulness, it's hard. We know we never quite see it as it really is. We tend to want to avoid it. We want to see other people's sins as greater than ours. And so we downplay our need for your forgiving grace. Forgive us for that. Press home upon us. Even where it's hardest for us to see and to accept. That it would be impossible to forgive us if not for the cross. Thank you that you get through to us with your authoritative words. And we thank you that they are not intended to crush us, to condemn us, but to set us free. And so I pray we would receive, Father, I pray for everyone here if we are having trouble receiving forgiveness, believing in our forgiveness, that you would stamp it deep into our hearts with your full loving authority. And Father, if we are having trouble 
forgiving. Give us the grace and the humility to do what would be impossible on our own, but to extend forgiveness as we have been forgiven. We thank you that all these things can be ours because of the work of Jesus in our place. And we pray in his name. Amen.